I think our subject area links to it pretty well. Um, I mean, up at our school, we've actually got half our department in the in the dean's area. So there's four health and P teachers um, that are within that group. So we've got three that are year level deans, and then one um, has the international dean role as well. Um, so I think I think that goes to show that it, there's obviously some pretty close links, but especially just that greater understanding our subject area gives, especially through the health side of things of um, the mental health issues they could have, the, the need to make sure that everything's as well as it can be on the well-being side of things, um, giving us a bit of a better understanding in terms of the pressures that they're dealing with or um, the developments in, in social aspects and social media and things like that that, that could be causing issues. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders, and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 70 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log where we share stories from outstanding leaders, educators and influencers who are challenging the status quo. I'm your host Carl Condoliffe and I'm joined again by my co-host Celia Fleck. Celia, busy weekend, lovely weather, Halloween, did you celebrate Halloween in your household? Nah, not at all. I never have, don't, yeah, not a fan at all. So I didn't have to this year but I've even gone so far previous years as to put a very polite sign on my door saying we don't do this yeah I it just doesn't sit well with me I just no, I, yeah. I'm I'm no there reason. with you I have my kids have been asking all week and I've just been like no it's not it's our family it's not something we do it's not something I've ever been into um it seems like uh, a lot of a lot of my friends are and their kids but um just it's I don't know I just knock, knocking on strangers doors and asking for lollies not really my thing no no so we had Paul O'Leary from Long Bay Long Bay College on the podcast uh, he I've had a bit to do with him over the last few years um, he's a real big fan of gamification and he has been to some of our workshops and uh, really engages online around a lot of that stuff so it was it was good to finally have him on the episode and he talked about some really interesting things uh, what did what did you what were your key takeaways or what was something that um, really stood out for you in the episode uh, it got me thinking a lot about um the strengths of visitors, um, especially in terms of that relationship, and therefore um, how they are often very, very well suited to that pastoral element in schools, and so often will be shoulder tapped um, or be successful in applying to be a dean or a Fano leader or whatever it might be in in your school and. Um, I mean, I think it's fabulous. I remember um, perhaps on the other side of it as a as a head of PE department where I think we had about seven or eight in the department at the time. And I think without fail, every single one was either a dean or they had some added responsibility. And that actually becomes quite a leadership challenge in terms of kind of um, allowing others in the department to have those leadership opportunities within the school but then also having sort of that still that sense of being a team and that focus on curriculum so that was always an interesting one to, to navigate I found. Did you did you feel that it was managed well at, when you were in that scenario at, at your school? There was one particular year that it wasn't um, but that was a huge learning and we and yeah and we just kind of went from there 
yeah yeah i could see i could see where there would be real struggles and and challenges but i i think i guess if you had you know, a considerable amount of your department in, in those positions, deaning, responsibility, pastoral, um, you're going to be, you're going to have that ongoing connection, I think. Uh, so hopefully you'd, you'd set a connection, find its way back to the department um, and those relationships will be really strong between the teachers because you're working with them in a whole lot of different contexts. And maybe that's how, how they get by. Um, I have never had that experience as an HOD. Um, it's always been, you know, a real tight unit and the focus has been on the PE department. So I can't imagine how hard it must be for uh, for my running a department with all of these um, people deeming in these different positions of responsibility. But um, from what I hear, Mo's a, Mo's a great HOD and uh, Paul spoke very highly of her. So uh, it sounds like they've, they've got it under control there. What really, um, what really stood out for me was their approach uh, to COVID and how um, Paul describes how they pretty much just kept a full timetable online. Um, I spoke, I mentioned this in the podcast, but I advocated for a, a, a less is more approach during lockdown. And I don't think I got that right at the time. And I think there could have been some higher expectations and things like that. But going full timetable, man, I think that would have been a real challenge. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I was really surprised by that. I, I had not heard of any schools approaching it that way. And I think Paul even said himself that he thought that they were pretty unique in that in that regard. Um, you know, for myself, with a year 12 student at home and a first year university student at home and myself at home and all of us trying to kind of manage that and find our spaces to be online when we needed to be. Um, and, you know, I don't have small kids. That's who I was thinking of. It was all those teachers that have got small kids, like you said. So I, from from a parent point of view, from a young person's point of view, I thought that would have been really challenging. Mm, but it sounds like they, again, the, the kids have come through and really um, come out of lockdown successfully and they managed to flow back into things really well so you know maybe there's a lot to be said for you know keeping uh, a very similar format when you go into lockdown and, and it sounds like their experience has been a positive one coming out of that so yeah who knows there's there's i think there's lots in this episode to pull apart and i, I think if, if people want to jump in and comment um around this it would create some really good dialogue about some of those those um those challenging approaches to different contexts within the episode. I think there could be some really good discussion there. So uh, I think we'll just yeah. jump. Now, wait, before oh. you go straight into the episode, I feel like I need to acknowledge, um, and it's a segue really from Fazita's doing well as a dean. Fazita's often do very well in those senior leadership roles, and I just feel the need to congratulate you, Carl, because we haven't had an <laughs> intro or a podcast since this has all gone official. So congratulations on your role for next year as Deputy Principal at Wellington East Girls. Um, you are going to absolutely thrive in that role, I think, and it's very exciting. It, it is exciting, and thank you, Celia. Um, I, I, three, four months ago, I, I wasn't considering anything like this, far from it, but uh, I, I think lockdown and um, that really changed my perception of what I valued in education and the kahuiaka role that I'm in um, has really uh, highlighted how passionate I am about the community that I live in and I work in uh, and I think all of those things have come together and this was a really good opportunity. Um, the portfolio seemed right up my alley so I, I couldn't really not apply for it and I thought it was a bit of a stretch to be honest but I, I guess I interviewed well and um, I'm really looking forward to starting next year it's going to be a massive challenge there's a lot of learning to happen uh, but it's something I'm really really excited about and I was out all weekend uh, looking for suits because I haven't worn a pair of pants for seven years it's going to be a bit of a oh, wow. it's going to be a bit of a change um, but it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to so thanks for that. You're welcome. So let's now jump into our episode uh, number 70 with Paul O'Leary. Hey Paul, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you very much for having me, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here. It's all right. It's all right. I think this has been a, a long time coming. I've been meaning to have you on here for a while now, but just never really got around to it. But I'm, I'm happy to have you you're here now. Uh, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your, your PE teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Yeah, so uh, it's my fifth year teaching this year um, and second year of deaning on top of that. Um, so I'm just up at Long Bay College on the shore of uh, North Shore of Auckland, um, but it's actually my ninth year there total if I include my time as uh, a sports assistant and university placements and stuff like that. Um, I've had a pretty wide range of health and PE experience during that time, so I think I've taught pretty much everything except year 13 health or year 13 PE. Um, and this year I've sort of tried to expand my horizons a bit and, and help out with scholarship and get on board with that as well, which has been quite a challenge, but with it being a year where they've changed the requirements and stuff like that, it's been a good one to jump on board because it's learning at the same time everybody else is really. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, scholarship. Um, are you, who who runs that program? Are you helping? Are you helping Mo do that? Uh, yeah. So so Mo runs it um, with myself and one of the other Year Thirteen PE teachers, yeah. um, and sort of we've we've set it up this year so um, they can sort of the students can pick who they use as their mentor to help them through it, um, which naturally meant they picked those two teachers a wee bit more soon as they they take them for class. So for me this year, it's more been a case of just sort of helping both of them where I can, if students have picked topics that sort of touched on my knowledge area um, and sort of picking up ideas from both of them as to good ways to structure it, um, like thought process to go to, seeing how they've thought we could link the, the reference articles into and things like that. So who knows, maybe next year I'll get a couple, a couple just for myself. If Mo trusts me with them, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Mo will trust you. That's I, I like that approach, and I think uh, people really underestimate the the workload that scholarship adds. And you know, in in my role, uh, maybe four or five years ago, we, we we had a really good shot at scholarship, and we picked up like four or five. Uh, but but since then, you know, it's just kind of been me by myself and it just hasn't worked. You need to have those other people on board. You need to have that support. Um, and I think it's a really good position for you to be in to come in and support those other two teachers, but at the same time learn and um, hopefully pick up a few a few students of your own, which will be a really good approach. You, you're, you said you're a dean and you've only been teaching five years and you've had two years of deaning now. Uh, yep. <laughs> how, how did you how did you fall into drop into pastoral that's really interesting and it seems quite young to be um to be deaning yeah so um i was kind of shoulder tapped for it um actually at the end of my second year because we had a, a couple of deans moving on um and i thought at that point it was a wee bit too quick of a jump having not even yet had a full year of a full teaching load under my belt um so just decided to pass on that occasion and um then yeah another one moved on at the end of next year and, and put my name in the hat and was was trusted with the role which was awesome um it was it was an interesting decision because i think going into teaching i wasn't too sure if i would lean more the pastoral route or more the curriculum route um especially with having having mo as a head of faculty she's she's so up to the date i'm wanting to to try new things in terms of the curriculum side. So it's, it's an awesome department to be a part of. And I think going into it, I was concerned if I drift away from that, um, going the pastoral end with, with all the requirements of that. Um, but then I really just thought back to sort of one of the main reasons I got into teaching uh, in terms of wanting to help, help people in any ways that I can. And I mean, I, P was always and health were my favorite subjects at school. So that was a natural one in terms of a job. And then to chat with some of the current deans we have and get a better understanding of what the, the job really entails um, sort of led me to head down that route really, because again, it was just another opportunity and another way to be able to help as many as, many as I could really. Um, it didn't really prepare you for some of the extreme cases that you might have to deal with or some of the extreme incidences. But um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a move that I'm very glad that I've taken. Um, 
and can't can't wait to hopefully see the majority, if not all of my current cohort, leave at the end of their year 13, yeah, really. Yeah, that, that would be a real exciting uh, part of the job is seeing those kids through those five years and then and then roll out the other end. I'm, I'm interested, how, how do you think being a, a health and PE teacher has shaped or supported you in that role of being a dean? Um, I think our subject area links to it pretty well. Um, I mean, up at our school, we've actually got half our department in the, in the dean's area. So there's four health and PE teachers um, that are within that group. So we've got three that are year level deans and then one um, has the international dean role as well. Um, so I think, I think that goes to show that it, there's obviously some pretty close links, but especially just that greater understanding our subject area gives, especially through the health side of things of um, the mental health issues they could have, the, the need to make sure that everything's as well as it can be on the well-being side of things, um, giving us a bit of a better understanding in terms of the pressures that they're dealing with or um, the developments in, in social aspects and social media and things like that that, that could be causing issues um, to then be able to, to provide that extra support. Um, I, I, I mean, like, like anything, it doesn't quite prepare you as well as being guidance counselors and the professional help that they can give. Um, but you know, it, it's it's definitely nice to be sort of that extra that extra support network for them and the extra safety net to if there are things that aren't quite right to be able to help them or at least point them point them in the right direction. Mm, yeah, I, I agree, and I think our curriculum has that real foundation in relationships. And you know, you you mentioned earlier about uncertainty around going down the pastoral pathway or the curriculum and concerns about pulling away from curriculum but um, I, I think even as as a as a physio having that that grounding and relationships and stuff and then the experiences that we have with sport and coaching and, and leadership and all of those sorts of things um, you're gonna you're gonna be really strong in pastoral anyway regardless of whether you take that pathway but I think it's really cool that you have stepped up stepped up for that and i think having having mo in the department as well is really going to keep you um connected there back to that curriculum because she's such a, a driving force and she's got so much knowledge um in that area and there's so many things i've been meaning to touch base with her and and, and learn from her i just i'm so busy but she's got she's a wealth of knowledge so she's going to keep you really grounded down that curriculum pathway which is which is fantastic has um have you got much turnover in your department? Have you got a real solid crew or is there, you know, have you got people coming and going or have you got a really good team at the moment? Uh, no, it's been pretty consistent recently. Um, there's been the odd one that um, I sort of moved on after maternity leave or things like that. Um, but no, for the most part, it's been, it's been pretty similar. I think we had a, enough of a role increase to get um, an added, well, I think it was a case of a bit of an increase in role in, the amount of teachers moving into the dean's area and needing the, uh, the time management covered um, that gave us another one which allowed us to bring um, another younger one in as a as a first and second year teacher which was good as well because um, it's been good to get some some young blood that is sort of going through the new processes through uni as well and new styles of learning that um, that Mo's been trying to introduce as well as part of the the program that um, we've done with Westlake Girls and AUT is um, in terms of the skill learning side of things. Um, so like they're naturally coming in with that knowledge. Um, so it's been some staff we've had to upskill, some staff are, are coming in with the knowledge as well. So, um, and I think it's testament to how, how good a head of faculty she has been that everybody comes in, loves it mm -hmm. and, and, and don't want yeah. to leave. <laughs> Hey, staying with that uh, that deaning for for a wee bit. What what do you think is yeah. the most important characteristic trait or quality that a dean needs to be demonstrating? Um, I'd say probably along the respect and empathy line would, would probably be the, the two most important things to have. Ooh, that's not what um, I, I didn't think you'd say that. Tell, tell me more about that. Uh, so I mean, even with teaching, I always run along the line of it, there's got to be the mutual respect. Um, and if basically if, if it's coming from them, I'll, I'll always give it, give it straight back. Um, and especially a lot of with the, 
the pastoral side of things with the dean and you need to make sure that you can come in with that open mind not that pre preconceived idea of you may have had an incident with them before so whatever you've heard about this occasion is definitely going to have been them or there's there could be an underlying factor that is the cause behind it and you need to be able to understand that um and yeah i think the more the more you can demonstrate that the more willing um to work with you they'll be and the more they'll they'll open up and help you understand what's really going on um or what support you can provide them or what direction you, you can help put them in um because as fun as it is for the to be things going and you try and catch them out in the lie and give them <laughs> give them the rope to to try and get caught on it's it's definitely a lot easier time wise to get the right story from them the first time um so yeah i think yeah for me as as if they know that they can they can come to me they can trust me and then i can trust that whatever they're passing on is is correct and factual um so we can either deal with it or provide them the support that they need um then yeah i think it's always going to be the best way to go i i like that and i like how you frame that respect and empathy and I, I think it is really really easy to bring in a whole lot of bias when you're working with kids and um, you know fall back on prior experiences or incidents that you might have been involved with them but I think it's really important to be able to acknowledge the past but then park it and really look at moving forward and, and having that real solutions focused approach and it sounds like um that's something that you know how you approach things are you, you are you a restorative school at all uh yeah so we there's been a real drive with the uh around that with sort of about the last 18 months of moving forward um and again that's sort of been a faculty thing for us probably a wee bit longer um in terms of just trying to make sure that they know that's that clean slate every every time they walk through the door because um, we know everybody can always have bad days <laughs> we, all, we all do so it's it's it could be as, as simple as they've they've had an argument literally with mum and dad before they've walked through the door and that's why they're being a pain today um so yeah we've we've really driven that across the entire school the last yeah you know, like i say 18 months and i think the reflection in the number of pastoral incidences or, or classroom incidences I would say has gone has gone down since then um yeah so i mean for me i, I think i'll i'll always push it um as, as long as it's done right i guess i i come from a strong curriculum background and so i think to lockdown that we've just been through this year and, and all of that and as a as an hod and a curriculum expert i'm really focused on how we were addressing learning in that period but you were a dean so you're you're very much focusing on the well-being of those students how how was lockdown for you and your students um it it was pretty i think it was tougher for them than i expected it to be um so we had gone with the approach of trying to keep it as normal as possible given the circumstances um so we still had the normal timetable running at the normal time so you're still going to the normal classes at the same time it was just via your computer instead of walking into the classroom um just with lowered expectations of the amount of work they'd get done in the time because obviously it was a it was a weird time and i think i think the normality really helped them and just being able to continue with topics that were suitable to do with the with the online learning really really helped them um they naturally missed more so than i think they they would have expected the the natural school environment and being able to see their mates in class and at lunchtime and interval and stuff like that so i think our attendance rate shot up at the end of the first lockdown um and it was potentially the highest rates we've had in a very long time but yeah it was it was a difficult time for them and in terms of the deaning side it was sort of trying to keep on top of who was engaging with it who wasn't what was the reasons behind them not engaging with it was it um was it literal device issues or were the were the deeper things going on with the with their mental health issues that the lockdown dragged up and and made worse for them and what what support we could provide them with that um yeah so it was it was definitely a tricky time but i think 
a lot of credit has got to go to a lot of our students who engage with it absolutely superbly we're still getting assessments done we're still getting all their learning done and and that while stuck at home at, at five lessons a day five days a week do you do you think like being able to sit back and reflect now that we're out of all of that and hearing maybe what other schools have gone through do you think the the focus or the approach of maintaining things as normal as possible and kids expectations well not lowered expectations around attending five lessons a day do you think that was the right approach or do you think that was too much um i think at times it was potentially too much like i think the the longer the lockdown went on the harder it was um and i i think i can safely say that from having had conversations with teachers as well and comparing it to what some other teachers were doing and they were amazed by how much we were still we were still teaching and we were still online from nine o'clock to well eight forty five to three fifteen. Um, I think in terms of their their learning and their engagement, it was good. Um, so I think from a pastoral perspective, in terms of doing our our level one tracking and things, it still meant students had the opportunity to gain every single credit they'd normally be offered within the year so not having to fall back on the reduced credit targets that nzqa had provided um i think it definitely reflected in their workload or their engagement once we returned that it was maybe a little bit too much for them um because it took them a week or so to really get back in the swing of things and you could tell they were a wee bit drained um but at the same time, I think if we'd gone too far the other way, then you'd be so far behind the eight ball. It would sort of be as if you'd left them with a reliever for, for six weeks and you'd missed all the content you'd set and, and had to recap it. Mm. I'm glad to hear it, that worked for you in your school. Um, I, I was a bit, big advocate for less is more. And, and that was the guidance that I was giving, giving very early on. But when I reflect back on that approach now, I, I don't think um, I don't think that was the best approach. And I think some sort of happy middle where um, I'm thinking now and, and the research that I've read, I, I would be thinking along the lines of, OK, we, you know, we're not going full timetable, but we're not taking a less is more approach. But I, I think somewhere in the middle where there's really clear and high expectations of our students, maybe a slightly reduced timetable and really good communication with parents. I think um, sitting in the middle there with those expectations, I, I think uh, would be a really good place to start if we were to go through this again. But it's really interesting to hear going full time. Like I haven't heard of any school that's done that. Um, so, you know, that's big ups to you guys for taking that, that stance and, and, you know, if it works, it works. And that's really good to hear. Yeah, I definitely think we're in the rarity with that. Um, but I'd say, I, I think even compared to most teachers at school, I potentially approached it different. Um, cause I wasn't a massive fan of the whole like videoing in with them for the entire hour. Cause you just find a lot of kids would just sit there, mics off, cameras off, and you don't really know if they were engaging. Um, so for the most part, because we're a, a Microsoft school, so we just have everything set up on our, our class notebooks. I'd, I'd give them the instructions at the start of the lesson would be there if they had any questions or to take them through little bits at the start and things like that and just ease out chunks like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, all props to them. They, the vast majority got all the all the work done. So yeah, what about what about other teachers kids. that had families at home like because you're you're young I'm, I'm assuming you don't have two little kids running yeah. around um how did, how did they cope yeah it was definitely a struggle for them because they were trying to balance the whole getting everything sorted for their own kids and making sure their activities and stuff were set up on top of their teaching load as well um i've got nothing but respect for them because there were there were times where i find it found it a struggle like I say, just looking after myself and getting that sorted. And they somehow did it with one, two, three kids and if not more. And I think probably for them, the fact we went full timetable was probably a bit too much. Um, because, yeah, like I say, it, it must have been hard enough either just doing the teaching or just looking after their own kids and making sure they were sorted with their schooling, let alone trying to combine the two of them. 
I, I don't know a whole lot about Long Bay College. Um, I was I actually I grew up in Auckland and we used to have this uh, this annual trip when I was in primary out to Long Bay and we used to love it because massive waves and we used to get just annihilated in the water and it was so much fun. <laughs> but thinking of your school, I, I know Mo and I know what she does well, but I'm, I'm interested to hear what, what does your school do that kind of challenges the status quo? What's something different or unique about how, how you and, and your staff and your students approach education? Um, it, it's funny because we actually used to be a school that was quite different and we've sort of moved away from a lot of those things. Um, so up until well, only a couple of years ago, we used to have level one split over year 10 and year 11. Um, yeah, so the at the end of year nine, they would sort of make their choices for their NCA subjects at the end of that year and already be almost pigeonholing towards what their careers were then. Um, and then it was sort of shaped so that in year 10, they got the foundation knowledge for what they would need for level one and probably attempt one achievement standard and get the credits um, and then do the, do the rest in year 11, um, which sucked for a faculty like ours because it meant we lost um being a being a compulsory subject so being able to to be engaged with our entire year levels um so yeah i think it's been it's been nice for us to now go back to what we you'd deem as a normal just doing level one at year 11 and and getting every student back in in year 10 as well um gives us more contact time with them means we can cover the health side of things especially a lot better um, rather than having to cram everything a young teenager might need in just the, the one year of seeing them. Um, so yeah, we've sort of moved away from that. We've started to bring in, or we brought in uh, last year, out of five groups um, that we see once a year that are only about 15, 16 students um, that we see once a week for an hour, um, just as sort of an extra pastoral step. So they've got an out of five leader to turn to without it being sort of deemed like an, like an admin time of being a homeroom side sort of thing, um, which I guess is probably a wee bit different because we only see them once a week for an hour rather than either a couple of 10 minutes or so before school every day or like other usual form class structures. Um, so what's, hap what's happening in there? Is that the kind of a holistic approach to pastoral care? Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll sort of come up with... Um, content to cover in those sessions that we think is relevant to them at the time. Um, so we'll get together as out of fire leaders across all, like all the out of fire leaders from our, our one year level and sort of have a look at what we think is, is good stuff for them to be learning about um, relevant to how old they are and, and what's going on in the world at the time um, without it necessarily being stuff that would naturally be covered in curriculum areas. Um, so it's it's been a bit of a hard process to to make sure we're not overlapping too much with what we might cover in health um but in saying that like once you reach year 11 12 13 obviously it's up to them whether they're choosing to take health as a subject so a lot of them are missing out on what would probably be really important for them to be to be learning about anyway so we can sort of use that as another time to to be able to give them that sort of information um it then obviously just does become tricky for some edifier leaders if they're not a natural health and PE teacher with the content area trying to pick up pick up some of that. Yeah, that's cool. I, I just had to search what edifier means, and that's what it means to show kindness or to care for. That's 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 pretty cool. That's a nice take on that holistic approach to pastoral care. I, I like that. What's a what's a what's an example of uh, a session you've done recently? Um, so. We've done a mix of um, a little bit of tracking for them and their, and their subject selections as well, um, just to make sure they're sort of on track to succeed and make sure that what they're picking is fitting their pathway and things like that. Um, but then we took a lot of time as well, especially with so much of what was going on in with all the racial justice issues in America and comparing it to how things are here and sort of gauging their perspective and, and opinions on things um, and how it's sort of potentially visible, not only in New Zealand, but even a smaller context as our school without them necessarily having realized that. Um, 
and so for the most part it will will tend to approach in in just discussion form just so everybody can share their different perspective and ideas rather than you know sitting there with with powerpoints like you would in a lesson or or worksheets and activities for them to do um but it's really interesting especially because of like i'd say most schools in new zealand are a multicultural nature of our our cohorts that you do manage to get so many different perspectives and people then being able to reflect back on what it was like back in their home country or what it was like back in the primary school days and things like that and and how it may have been different for them and and where it is now mm. nice hey, you're you're a big fan of gamification too what what's your yeah. what's thanks, your perce- you. <laughs> what's your perception of the concept and and how has it helped you in the classroom um so i think i mean i'm not the necessarily the best gamer at times uh, unless we're looking at some FIFA, but it's been interesting to see how using sort of the video game mechanics in a in a teaching sense, um, the the different impacts and and effects it can can have on their their learning and their progression. Um, so I've I've sort of used it in in different ways in my own teaching practice. Like I say, a lot of discovering it and and information i've learned has has come from stuff you've shared and attending your your sessions at pens conferences and stuff like that which has been always the first one that i'll put i'll put my name down for to make sure i attend um and yeah so i think for me it's sort of been at a junior level just to because i know health and p is just not going to be the right subject for some with us being compulsory um and just using it to sort of ramp up the engagement and rank, ramp up their their enjoyment within the class. Um, so turning it quite competitive and getting them into into their different teams with with visual leaderboards and um, like them creating bit emojis for themselves to represent themselves in the classroom and and things like that. Um, whereas on the flip side for the the seniors using it as an added motivation tool as well um so similar competitions but for them it's like bonus points and stuff awarded for assessments being handed in on time and um more bonus points if it was a merit compared to achieved in their first submission and and things like that to try and sort of get them making sure they were getting the grade they wanted first time round rather than sort of rushing it last minute and then relying on a resubmission to to get them where they wanted. Um, and for some classes, it, it turns the, the practical way too competitive. And I felt like I was at a World Cup final every lesson, but it was just awesome to see themselves flying around. I like that. I like what you were saying about the juniors. And you, know, you did talk about a competitive environment, which doesn't always work for everybody. But I think the, where you were going with that and, and the picture you painted for me was that for some students who PE might not be their thing, by having those things like bitmojis and those sort of visual representations, you're building a connection for them to the learning. And I think that's really important. If they're not going to be connected through um, some of the core components of our curriculum, we'll find some other way to connect them. And for some people, having an avatar that represents them in the classroom is a way to build that connection. And I think that's really positive to look at, um, to, to not try to, you know, frame our learning area as, as something that is for everyone because it isn't for everyone and some people are really challenged in that environment. So being able to build a connection, bring them on board and uh, and help them fall in love with our learning area, I think is a really good approach. So that, that sounds really good. And I also like things like your emphasis on um, having those high expectations of coming in and nailing the assessment first up and rewarding them for that because you're right. And, and I do hope that, you know, the... The, the review of the standards that you know, the NCA changes are going to are going to fix this. But this whole idea of you know last minute submission and you know get close but clean it up later, I, I don't like that. And I, I think if if we're going to teach kids that, it's not going to set them up well for the future. So um, some really solid approaches there and, and really good use of gamification. I think um, I think it's a misunderstood concept, uh, but sounds like. Um, You've got your head all around it, which is which is good to hear, mate. I like it. I was going to say that's always good to hear coming from you as well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, on 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 technology and video games and and all of that. Do you think uh, like technology and social media? Do you think it's going to have a long term negative impact on our youth or society? You know, just thinking about um, 
you know, that Netflix doco that's that's come out recently. Yeah. Um, you know, is is this a massive problem? Do you think, or do you think this is just a natural progression around? technology impacting the way we communicate and that's the future um it's funny you bring up that docker because I, I had watched that one and it it, it sort of rung the alarm bells for me social um, dilemma yeah is it? social dilemma. yeah it it, uh, it rang the alarm bells for me a little bit and then um i actually went on a on a canoe trip over the the last holidays down the down the Whanganui river and it just had no no service for three days so it just meant it was sort of like a cold turkey you've got nothing deal with it um, and it was actually during that that I, I realized I didn't miss it, which was a great thing. Um, so then, but then coming back, it was just that natural, as soon as you hit cell service, the notifications came popping through and, and there I was, the guy that didn't miss it was hooked onto his phone again. Um, and it made me realize how bad, badly I, I was stuck on it, um, which I mean, if, if that's the case for me as a as a 28 year old, the fact that teenagers are just as bad, if not worse, because they're on way more platforms that we don't mm -hmm. know about yet and and are, are on the cutting edge of all this technology and they're growing up with these natural developments. It's, um, yeah, for me, it's been concerning. And I guess we get that bit more of an insight because we, we try and cover it in our, in our subject area as well. Um, so it was like when I was taking level two health last year and and stress in social media was the the context for the external exam um i discovered that you know like students would have a main instagram page that was that was public for anybody to join and they had no idea who some of these people were and it was the the identity they wanted the world to see followed by their um their own personal account that like they monitored who followed but it was pretty much all their friends and then they had a third account that was just their best friends and I was just like it baffled me they needed three accounts and also had one where literally anybody could follow them and they had no concern as to who it was that could contact them or contact them and see them and um I mean it's definitely got some form of place in the world in terms of the social media side and being able to keep in contact and like I say it's it's always been a good way for me to to contact people back home in the UK and, and stay in contact with them um, but yeah I think the, the social media side definitely has dangers um, in terms of the gaming side of things uh, it, it can definitely go too far with how late some people are up all night on those um, but at the same time for some people that's they're just as passionate about that and as into that as as I am to getting out on the football field and playing that or watching the Premier League games or whatever. So, I mean, if it works for them, it works. I think for me, if it's reaching a point where it maybe has come a bit of an addiction and it's causing health issues or it means they're up all night doing that and then they're not doing their work the next day or things like that, then then there's a need to step in. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, hang on. Did I, I read that you had, weren't you canning some of your social media accounts? Did that happen or did you backed out of that? He, it, it no, it did. It did happen. So the first the first day of term four, I got rid of everything apart from my Facebook because that was where I had the most amount of contact. So I mean, I could keep in contact with most people that way. Um, yeah. And then yeah, just kept kept Twitter for the obviously the health and P PD and contact side of things. But yeah, other than that, they're they're all gone. And here we are, two weeks later, and they're still gone. <laughs> you feel you feel that serving you well? Uh, yeah, I think. I've invested a lot more time in in things that I genuinely enjoy um, and got more on the, the fitness side of things and actually properly engaging in, even properly engaging in either when I'm listening to my music or watching shows or whatever, rather than sort of having it on in the background and being on my phone, I'm, I'm actually just fully engaged in those tasks or when you're even when you're around people just being happy that it's just sat there on the side not needing it properly engaging with the person rather than having that conversation while in the odd time replying to messages as they're popping in or mm. or things like that well it's good to hear that it's that it's working for you and you know definitely uh being a parent you know you you've worked all day and you get home and 
you know, you might not have checked Facebook or whatever all day and, you know, you need to be present with your family. So I think not having those things or being able to remove them for certain periods of the day, I, I think is ideal because, you know, you don't want to be that parent or that friend or that colleague who has this crutch of social media that they need to keep falling back on when, and you know, the alternative is, is building positive relationships. So I'm, I'm glad that's working for you. Before we get to the last question, is there anything I might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me? Um, going back to that gamification side of things, when you just said you feel like it's misinterpreted a lot, how do you think most people take it on board? Oh, well, I think, and I've said this in another episode, that whoever coined the term gamification has a lot to answer for because you tell somebody who is unaware of that word gamification and what it means and the the picture it paints for that person is oh video games and you want to bring video games into the classroom but it's completely different to that as you know you know it's about recognizing and understanding that um video games are this powerful driver for a massive massive group of society and it's it's a huge industry um i think it's bigger than the movie industry now the amount of money that's being pumped into it and that people are spending and that isn't by accident and it's through a whole lot of game mechanics as you've mentioned and you know the sooner that we can understand and recognize that there's power in those game mechanics and we can leverage certain game mechanics not not the not the black hat game mechanics, but the you know the ones that create internal motivation. If we can leverage those in the classroom and leverage them well, it's it's going to serve our students. And that's all it is. It's not about bringing in video. It's not about knowing how to play FIFA or the latest. You know, the the big one at the moment is um, Among Us on on iOS. And um, I've been meaning to have a go at that, but I just haven't got around to it. But you know, there's it's not about those. It's about understanding why kids are hooked on those and then leveraging that and I, I think that's it's a really good place to start in terms of how can I hook in my kids because you know I've sat and played a video game for 12 hours straight and there's no way you'll find me sitting in front of even my favorite teacher for 12 hours straight because I just couldn't handle <laughs> it but the games have something that hooks me something that attracts me and motivates me to keep going and some of those some of those are negative some of them are positive um but it's leveraging those positive ones mm. so last last question if you could change one thing about the way we teach health and pe what would it be um i think it would be to move away from so much teaching to assessment um so i think and obviously a, a lot of the time it comes from from the powers that be above us that we've got to make sure that the stats are good and all the credits are in the line and things like that but I think we can quite often get caught just making sure we cover the content they need to know to make sure they can answer the questions in the standard rather than allowing them to take ownership for a little bit of their learning and giving them the freedom to discover different ways themselves or or more freedom to challenge information that is given to them and being a bit more critical rather than just this is what something is this is why you need to know it make sure you understand it um and so I, again thank thanks to an awesome head of faculty in mo we we changed our our year 11 course so that um the standard that you'd normally do for for anatomy we've actually taken out to not be worth credits um and actually provide them with an exam during our formative exam week um and as as subject teachers we don't know what's going to be covered in the exam um so it just gives us that freedom to teach the topic as a whole and and try some different things and and help them pick up the the knowledge for the sake of of knowing the knowledge rather than being like you definitely need to know what bones and muscles and actions and joints are involved in these two pictures because that's what you need to cover to make sure you, you get your four credits sort of thing. Mm, it's just so backwards, isn't it? Like, and I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. Okay. Well, we're teaching a new, we're, yeah, I'm teaching 1.6. And so I'm loading up the assessment criteria. I'm loading up the, you know, the exemplars and I'm unpacking those when instead I should be going, well, what's fascinating within 
this realm of learning and what do my kids want to learn and let's go learn that and let's be curious and let's discover new things and let's take a mastery approach and when they're ready to assess we'll assess but you know um i and i i do hope the the review of standards fixes this with bigger standards um over a longer period of time which gives us less stress and more more capacity to do that discovery and that curious learning and learning to learn and all of that so um yeah i i hear you on that and i i hope we get some some change around that i think we will and i think you know the you know what we've seen so far and that um lengthening the standards a bit and giving them a bit more value and sticking to four a year i think is, is a really good start um but hopefully we can go further than that hopefully also hopefully more schools take advantage of you know that level one optional level one and go okay well what can how can we support our kids to learn to learn, but provide them the skills so that they can be really successful at, at level two and three. And I think that's the worry that some people have is that we go into the, we ditch, you ditch level one and then you hit level two and you don't have the skills. So you obviously need a really tight and concise program that is structured well. And if you're not going to assess at level one um, to give them those skills, but I think, um, I think if it's done well, and they can go out and learn how to learn and discover all of the stuff, I think as, as humans, we will be better off. Um, so yeah, fascinating stuff. And I, I like I like that approach in terms of if you could change one thing. I think that's a really good place to start. Hey, I wanna I wanna thank you for I wanna thank you for taking the time to um, sit down. You've had a long weekend. You've come off some some sport, and you only recently got back. So um, I, I do value your time, and thank you for sitting down. I, I love what you're doing around gamification, and you know I followed closely some of the stuff that you've been doing for a while, and I do appreciate the kind words you, you have for me around that. It's it's something that um, I'm passionate about, and I've enjoyed sharing sharing a lot of that stuff. And you've, you've really engaged really well with the stuff Dale and I have done in the past. So. Um, I hope your year finishes off well. I hope you um, students students finish off strong, and um, and also your cohort end up with some um, some good results and a and a happy end of end of 2020. Yeah, well, thank thank you very much for having me, sir. And like I said, it's been awesome following your progress. And uh, best of luck in the in the new job. Oh yeah, new job. That's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no new challenges and and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, I really appreciate your, your words there, Paul. No worries. All right. Cheers, mate. Go well. Awesome. Cheers, Carl.